Okay, well, let me tell you some good news as we get started. We had a great picnic and uh, baptism bash, and who all was down there this past Sunday with us? Just hundreds and hundreds of people, way, way more than we expected. Thank you for coming down. And we baptized 32 people last Sunday. So just, that's just a symbol of people's lives being changed and being transformed from darkness to light and many people coming to Christ, others saying, hey, I made this decision as a young child, but I want to make it as a public declaration in my adult years. So God is doing great things. We had so much fun down there. Let me, let me tell you some other good news, some financial good news, because so often we hear financial bad news. A couple weeks ago, we shared with you that we felt led as a church to give away one of our week's tithes. And so we gave away $5,000 in cash. And it was a challenging time because we weren't having the best financial month, but we just felt God leading us to do that and that there were people with financial needs that were going to be there that week. And so it was a joy to do it and just said, God, we trust you. Now, in the next 10 days, this isn't just our tithe that came in from the church. This is outside of that. We had $35,000 given to the church. That's so encouraging. So I think it's just God showing, hey, when when you're generous and to meet the needs of the poor and the needy and and those that are uh, in in dire times, I'm going to provide for you. So that was great. It was um, 23,000 came from uh, a couple of different professional football players and then a $12,000 gift from the government. So, so that's awesome because so often churches are in trouble for not giving what they're supposed to give the government. We got a $12,000 refund. Isn't that encouraging? So that's always fun when you open the mail and get that. So anyway, God's providing for us in wonderful ways. And we're just, we're celebrating that. And we've been in a series called the Partying God, discovering the extravagant celebration heart of the father. And so you might be thinking, Robert, I just don't think it can get any better. We've We've talked about God's parting people. We've talked about how his heart is to throw parties for his children. We talked about Jesus loving parties. This week, I want to tell you, though, friends, that it gets even better because I want to tell you that each week, God wants there to be a day for your enjoyment and celebration. So we're going to talk about the Sabbath today. And we're calling it a Sabbath, a day to enjoy. Now, this is what I know is that for many people, life is dreary. There's so many people that just think they're on a proverbial hamster wheel. You know, they're just on that. I, I used to have a hamster and he would just get on this wheel and run and he'd never go anywhere. And he was actually a really chubby hamster. And the poor hamster, he ran all the time and he never lost weight either. So it was just a bad deal for this little hamster on the wheel. But that's how many people feel. They feel like their life is just work. In fact, I saw a billboard the other day that says, you work and then you die. Well, wow, that's great news, isn't it? You work and then you die. But so many people feel like their life is just toil, it's labor, it's stress, and it's burden. But God's heart is for life to not be that way for his followers, for believers in Christ. And I want to jump in in Genesis chapter 2 is where we're going to start this day, where God unveils this beautiful gift he has for us 
called the Sabbath. Now, before I read from Genesis chapter 2, let me just give you a context for it. Genesis 2 comes after Genesis 1. I know that's brilliant, but here it is. First chapter of the Bible, we see six days where God created the earth. He created the universe. He spoke and separated light from darkness, dry land from the sea, plants. And then on the sixth day, he creates the animals. And at the end of the sixth day, he creates man. Now here is the the amazing thing. At the end of six days, we pick up with Genesis chapter two, and it says this, thus the heavens and the earth were completed in all their vast array. It's amazing to think about this whole world and the universe and all the stars that God created them in six days. But listen to this. It says, by the seventh day, God had finished the work he had began doing. So on the seventh day, he rested. Say he rested. Very good church. From all his work. And God blessed the seventh day and made it holy. Because on it he rested from all the work of creating that he had done. Now here's a question for you this morning. Pop quiz. Does God need to rest? No. You're right. He, he doesn't need it. He is strong. He is omnipotent. Which means he's all powerful. The Bible says that he never sleeps or he never slumbers. That his strength never runs out. So why did God rest? I want to propose to you today that the reason God rested is because rest is good. Rest is good. And so God created a day of rest that he sat back and he enjoyed. Now think of it from man's perspective. Man was created on the sixth day. So the first day that man had gone to bed and woke up, you know, can't you see him? He's all ready. Adam's ready. He's going, wow, God, you made these mountains and you made this garden and all these crazy animals. Let's get to work. Let's do something. Let's name these animals. Let's hop on a horse and ride it around. Let's pick some fruit and eat it. Right. And God says, no, today, your first full day on the earth. What we're going to do is rest. Isn't that fascinating to think about? Man's first day on earth, he wakes up and God says, let's rest. Man hasn't even done anything yet. And he's being invited into rest. I want to tell you men and women, this is very significant for you to understand because the beginning of our faith comes from rest. I didn't create the world. You didn't create it. It was God. And that's how our journey of relationship with him starts, by the way. It's what he did for you. Jesus came down to the earth. He lived a sinless life upon the earth. Then he was taken and tortured. He died upon a cross, a very gruesome and painful death. And the Bible says that in his body, he bore our sins on the cross so that we could die to sin. He died. He raised from the dead. He defeated the power of sin and death. He destroyed the works of the enemy. And then he summons us. He invites us in. And all we do is say yes. We rest in the finished work of the cross. Your relationship with the Lord begins with rest. And that's what we see from the very beginning of scripture. The first day on earth, man rests. So I want to dive in today because I believe if you get this, men and women, 
that it is going to make your life much more enjoyable and you're going to enter into the abundant life that God's called you into. So I've got to tell you that there are three components to the Sabbath that God is inviting us into today. And we see them as I'll read again, Genesis 2, 1. It says, when God finished the work he had been doing, this is in the verse 2 of chapter 2. So on the seventh day, he rested from his work. Then he blessed the seventh day and he made it holy. God rested, he blessed it, and he made it holy. I want to dive in with you today as we talk about these components of Sabbath because God wants them to not just be something we know, but something we walk into. So number one, he rested. I was talking to one of my mentors about a time where he just kind of melted down in his midlife. His body really broke down. And one of my desires is I, that I often think of, even in my 30s, is what kind of old man do I want to be? What am I going to be like when I'm in my 80s or 90s? And I think about a person who still has a vigor for life, who's persevered to the end, who hasn't tripped up and disqualified myself through through dark sin, who, who continually has joy and refreshment, that I'm not a crusty and bitter old man, but that I'm renewed in strength. And I remember my mentor who had this meltdown in his midlife. He went to Dr. Archibald Hart, who's here in California, one of the foremost authorities on adrenaline and stress. And in his counseling time with Dr. Archibald Hart, Dr. Hart told him that so much of what he had encountered in life and gone through could have been rectified if he would have rested properly. I want to tell you, men and women, that your bodies need rest. What happens when we don't rest? Well, think about it. Physically, we start getting all run down. We become more susceptible to sickness and even disease. Think about mentally. We get kind of cloudy and foggy. You've probably all stayed up for an all-nighter before, and by the end of it, you're kind of a little loopy, right? You're saying some weird things, and you, you look down at your paper, and you've written some weird sentences, right? We just kind of get all foggy, and then emotionally, oh, you don't want to be around people that haven't slept in a while. They get all cranky, you know? They're kind of cat-like when a cat's in a bad mood, right? No, all you cat people don't get me for that one, but they, you, you don't want to You don't want to go too long without rest because our bodies need it. Now, God called us to enter into rest. There's been different groups that have have tried to shortcut and go without rest. I, I was reading about in the Industrial Revolution where the nation of France, in order to increase productivity, said that they're just going to work through all seven days of the week. And what happened is they stopped having a day of rest that as they worked their horses, their horses just started dying. That their people started breaking down and getting sick and actually crime rose in that time period. And they found that they were a lot less productive than when they were resting one day a week. In World War II, when there was a greater need for ships, the U.S. government came and had contracts with different shipbuilders. And said, we want you to work a seven-day week. Now, there was a guy named Walter Mellon who was the founder and CEO of Correct Craft. And he was a strong believer. And when the government came and said, we want you to do this, he said, I'm sorry, I'm not going to be able to do that. I'm a strong believer in the Bible. And the Bible says that we need a day of rest. So the government threatened to pull away his contract. Well, he went and said, give me some time and, and, and check back within several months and see how we've done. 
wouldn't you know, at the end of several months that Correct Craft had been more productive as they had honored the Sabbath and given their employees a day off a week. You see, we're made for maximum efficiency when we take time to rest. I know for me, as I got a hold of this truth in my early adult years, I went from a person who was often getting sick to a person who's much more healthy as I began to set aside a day to rest. I want to tell you that it actually takes more faith to take a day to rest than to just work all seven days. You see, God took a day to rest. Do you think God was actually finished with all his work on earth? Of course not. God has been working from the the time that creation began. He's been moving in people's lives. He's been creating. He's been touching. He's been ministering. But God realized that after six days, the righteous thing to do is to take a day of rest. And so he instituted that for us. I want to tell you, men and women of God, when you enter into rest, you imitate our righteous God. And we're saying, God, I trust you. I'm I'm basically tithing one day a week where I'm not going to work and I'm trusting you to make up for my lack. It takes faith to actually stop your work. You know, how hard is it to rest? I want to tell you, for a guy like me, it's pretty hard because I'm an action-oriented person. I like to be going. I like to be moving. I like to be checking my little iPhone. I like to to, to be going around and talking to all these different people. It takes discipline and it takes faith. To say, God, I'm going to step back and let you move and let you work and trust that you can do with six days what I can't even do if I work all seven. Now let's go to the next one. The next point is he blessed it. He blessed it. The second component of the Sabbath is blessing. Now at the time... When the Sabbath was instituted in Scripture, there was a a group that arose called the Pharisees. And they were Sabbatarians. What it means is they got really into the Sabbath and they said, okay, I'm going to take this principle and now we're going to force it on everyone. Sometimes religious people, we can do that. We hear something good and then we say, yeah, and if you don't do that, you're a loser. And so we're going to evaluate and watch you and make sure you do this perfectly. And so that's what the Sabbatarians did. And, and, And so... The Pharisees got so into the law of Sabbath and they thought, you know, it's not defined enough by God. Let's help him out and help people understand what he's saying. So they started making ridiculous rules. Like you weren't supposed to carry a burden on the Sabbath. And so they defined it. They said, okay, a burden. That's anything heavier than a dried fig. That's kind of random, but they said anything heavier than a dried fig, you can't carry. So they said, you know, if your candle melts and wax goes on the ground, you can't pick it up and move the wax. You can't, if, if your horse sheds a hair, you can't move a horse hair. You can't carry a piece of paper. Pretty ridiculous, right? They said, if your hen lays an egg on the Sabbath, you can't eat it because your hen was working. I mean, come on. They got so into it, they said, you can't even move your clothes around on the Sabbath. So into this, they were, and being so legalistic, they said, if your house catches on fire, you can't take your clothes out of your house. You can only take out what you have on you. So people started running back in, changing, putting more clothes on and running out whenever their house is caught on fire. It's just ridiculous how into this law they got. And so Jesus came along and he didn't abolish the Sabbath, but he came to fulfill the law. So if you look with me in Matthew chapter 12, we're going to see what Jesus says about the Sabbath. It says this in verse 1 of Matthew chapter 12. If you don't have a Bible, raise your hand. We'll put one in your hands right now. We'd love to give you one. 
It says, at that time, Jesus went through the grain fields on the Sabbath. His disciples were hungry and began to pick some heads of grain and eat them. When the Pharisees saw this, they said to him, look, your disciples are doing what's unlawful on the Sabbath. He answered them, haven't you read what David did when he and his companions were hungry? He entered the house of God and he and his companions ate the consecrated bread, which was not lawful for them to do, but only for the priests. Or haven't you read in the law that on the Sabbath, the priests of the temple desecrate the day and yet are innocent? I tell you that one greater than the temple is here. If you had known what these words mean, I desire mercy, not sacrifice. You would not have condemned the innocent for the son of man is Lord of the Sabbath. He's saying, hey, these people are hungry. And so what do I like to do? I like to let them have some grain. You know, they're just walking through the field, picking off some granola off the stocks and just chomping on it. And he said, don't condemn them. I'm here to bless them. I'm the Lord of the Sabbath. Let's keep reading. Verse nine, going on from that place, he went to their synagogue and a man with a shriveled hand was there looking for a reason to accuse Jesus. They asked him, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? He said to them, If any of you has a sheep and it falls into a pit on the Sabbath, will you not take hold of it and lift it out? How much more valuable is a man than a sheep? Therefore, it's lawful to do good on the Sabbath. Then he said to the man, stretch out your hand. So he stretched it out and it was completely restored, just as sound as the other. Oh, you see this awesome picture of Jesus blessing people on the Sabbath. If the first component of the Sabbath is to rest, the second one is blessing. Jesus says, it's not about heaping laws on people. It's my heart to bless people. This is what he says in Mark 2. It's the same story of Jesus and his disciples walking through the grain fields. But at the end, he says this. Then he said to them, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. God instituted the Sabbath because he loves us and he wants to bless us. Here's one of my favorite icebreakers that are often used probably in every life group I've ever been in. Our life groups are our small groups that meet throughout this whole city and region throughout the week. And I encourage you to go visit one. We will start with an icebreaker, a question that anyone can answer. So we're all, you know, just easily able to jump into the the discussion. Here's one of my favorite ones. They say, if you had a free day, a day that you could just do whatever you wanted, what would it be? And I love how people just go, ah, you hear sighs in the room. People go, ah, and then their eyes kind of get dreamy and they're like, I'd just walk on the beach. You know, I'd go down to La Jolla and just walk on the beach or, you know, I'd just curl up by a fire with a book and just nestle up with a hot cup of tea or coffee. And you just hear people saying these things that they would love to do. I want to tell you that God wants you to have times of enjoyment and delight. That God loves it when you're enjoying his creation, his good gifts. The Bible says that every good and perfect gift comes down from above, from the father of lights in whom there is no shadow of turning. Do you know that God loves to give good gifts? Do you know that God is a God of delight? He's not just a workhorse God. He's not just a, a God with his nose to the grindstone saying, get to work, get to work, get to work. We see the evidence of that in creation. We see the evidence of his playfulness. Of his enjoyment. How many colors do we need on the earth? Right? But think of how many colors God has created. Think about how many shades of blue we have. Right? We got dark blue. We got navy blue. We got light blue. 
we got turquoise, we got aqua, we got neon blue, we got azul, we got, you know, we just, all, all these different colors. I don't think that's an actual shade of blue, but I wanted to say it. We, we've got all these different shades of just blue. And they're all, they're sprinkled throughout creation. You just go swimming and you see all these different colored fish. Or how many flowers do we need? You know, we could have just had roses, but you got daisies and daffodils and, 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 and all these. I think I said that a little weird, but we, you, got, you got all these flowers. And they're even put in places that no person even sees. They're in this little cleft of a rock. It's just evidence of God's playfulness and his delight. Or how about the animals? In this world, we could have just had a bear and a dog, but all of a sudden you got a duck bill platypus, right? You know, God was just sitting up there with Jesus and the Holy Spirit saying, this is going to really trip them up. Now watch this, right? It's a duck bill platypus that lays eggs, but it's a mammal, right? Or you got a, or copy, is it a giraffe or is it a zebra? You know, and they're kind of mixed together. And then we got a wombat, you know, what's or a flying squirrel. Squirrels should not fly. But, but God just takes delight in, in, in enjoying. And, and he wants you to enter into that. And I want to tell you, on the Sabbath, it's a day to enjoy. It's a day to savor what God has done. It's a day to savor his creation. I was talking to a theological mentor of mine, Father David Manzingo, a, a spirit-filled Episcopalian priest who's just a real scholar. And we were talking about this idea of being blessed on the Sabbath. And he took me into the word recreation, which if you split that word apart, it's re and create from the Latin words and meaning to, to do again, re to do again, and then to reestablish or, or recreate or reinvigorate. Have you ever done an activity that just makes you come alive? You know, you're just doing that and you're just coming alive. Maybe it's reading a book. You know, for some of it's getting on a 10-speed bicycle and cruising through the road. Some, some of you is playing dominoes. You know, you're just getting those bones in your hand and you're just feeling alive. You know, or you're painting. or I don't Some, some of you, it's cooking, right? It's, ooh, you know, the heat and the boiling and the sizzling. And, woo, I'm just alive now. You know, that, that's not me. But I, for, for me, it's being out in nature. It's going on a long hike or this, this last Sabbath, we borrowed some kayaks and my son Hudson and I are just out on Mission Bay, right as the sun's setting, you know, and the water's just, just like glass and Hudson's going, daddy, let's race. And I'm like, no, 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 son, just savor the moment. You know, I'm, just, I'm alive. Yeah, we, we just do things that make you feel recreated into who you're called to be. God took six days to create. And then one day to be refreshed and to be blessed. Because when he saw all that he had done, he said, it is good. And there needs to be a day, men and women, where you're just sitting back and going, this is good. Where you get off the treadmill of your life and to say, today I'm going to enjoy, I'm going to be blessed by the goodness of God. I want to give you permission to do things that you delight in. I want to give you permission to rest. You know, some people grew up in a home where you felt like rest was a bad thing. I, I was sitting in a group this week with some young people and, and we said, now, you know, who, who in here has a hard time resting? And one girl said, you know, my parents always said idle hands are the devil's tool. Like if you rest, you're going to get possessed, you know, like, oh, I was just resting. And then the devil just came in me, right? No, that's, that's not going to happen. 
Not when we rest in the Lord or, you know, oh, you know, if I just go and play, well, then I'm not advancing the kingdom. No, but you are imitating God, which lets him reinvigorate you and lets you go back into his mission refreshed and with power and more in love. And the world needs to see people in love with God. And the Bible says, taste and see that the Lord is good. You guys get excited about this? I'm enjoying it. I'm about ready to have a Sabbath up here. I, let's go into the third aspect of Sabbath. And it's this. It says, he rested, he blessed it, and he made it holy. He made it holy. Now, there's many facets of making something holy, but probably the first that comes to mind is what the people of God did for centuries on the Sabbath. And that was coming to worship him. You see, let's put up these verses up here. You could just jot them down. We're not going to look at them, but Exodus 20 verse 8 and Deuteronomy 5 12 says, remember the Sabbath and keep it holy. This is the actual command. So important that God put it in as one of the 10 commandments. He said, it's so important. And, and so many times we hear the 10 commandments and we're like, Oh, don't put those commandments on me. I want to tell you, he, he gave us those commandments to bless us. Like thou shall not kill. That's a very nice thing. You're glad that you don't have to walk around all the time. Go because someone could just kill you if they want it. And he says, remember the Sabbath and keep it holy. Why? Because he wants you to enter into his blessing. But now, 1 Chronicles 23, 31, 2 Chronicles 2, 4. They're all about the worship of God on the Sabbath. Bringing the offerings to worship. Building the altar for the worship. And then we get into all these different passages. But here's a couple from Luke where Jesus goes into the synagogue to teach the people on the Sabbath. And then you get into Acts, and you see both Peter and Paul going into the synagogue. It says, as was their custom on the Sabbath day to teach the people and for them to learn his word and to gather together as the people of Christ. I want to tell you, I'm so thankful that my parents established this routine in our life growing up. Now, I didn't have a church like this where we were doing flash mobs in the front and our worship leader got us up and we looked like we were doing jazzercise and bouncing up and down and having all these, these fun. But, but I'm still thankful to this day, even though I, I had a, a, a very uh, mundane or, or, or very quiet, we were the frozen chosen, but uh, I'm, I'm still thankful that my parents taught me that we were... Once a week to set aside a day to come and gather with the people of God. Why? Because I learned the word of God. Why? Because I gathered together and built healthy relationships with the people of God. And thirdly, I, I grew in a love of just singing about God. And even then I was experiencing his presence. And now as I look back, I'm so blessed because I remember as a kid, sometimes being with my parents, oh, mom and dad, can't can I just stay home today and watch cartoons? Can't I, can I just, you know, the Lone Ranger came on during church time for me as a kid. The Lone Ranger in black and white came on and I was like, oh, I'm going to miss the Lone Ranger. My parents said, no, we, we, we go and gather with the people of God on Sundays, Robert. My, 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 my friends would be going to the lake to spend the whole, whole day there. And I'd be, oh, why can't I do that? Why do I have to go to church? But now I see. I, I look at my parents' life, 40 years of a wonderful 
marriage. I, I look at my sisters and myself, all of us giving our lives to Christ, all have healthy marriages, 10 grandkids. Everyone is following God, not just following God, but pressing in, trying to advance his kingdom. And I attribute it. It's not the only factor, but I, I, I do attribute a lot of it into being a family that had that non-negotiable value of once a week, we gather with the people of God, just like the people of God have for centuries to come and worship him, to bring him a sacrifice of praise, and then to come and be discipled in the truth of his word. And that just changes you and it builds those relationships. Well, let, let me show you these relationships. Hebrews chapter 10, 24 and 25 says this, it says, and let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. I, I, I bet there's not a person in this room who says, I, I, I don't want to be more loving. I'm as loving as I need to be. No, no. For me, I'm always like, Lord, please make me more loving. Especially to my kids. I, I, I want to be more loving. I, I want the good deeds to flow out of my life for the world to say, man, that guy follows God. It says this. Verse 25, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing. He's saying, now listen, the, one of the ways that we grow in love and one of the ways we grow in overflowing with good deeds is when we meet together, don't give up that. Some are in the habit of doing it, but encouraging one another. And all the more as you see the day approaching, who doesn't want to be more loving? Who doesn't want to have more good deeds flowing out of their life? Who doesn't want to be more encouraged? I tell you, people, as we come together as God's family, as the people of God have done for centuries on a Sabbath day, and we get filled up with the word and we encounter his presence, and then we have life-giving relationships here, then we're blessed and equipped to be the people God's called us to be. And I'm so thankful for how I was trained in that. And, And let me just tell you, that's such an important part of a Sabbath day. Uh, Now, let me just tell you, I can play with the best of them, but just saying, hey, the Sabbath, it's just a day off. I'm just going to go to a football game or I'm just going to spend the whole day on the beach. It does not have the same power and potency as meeting with the people of God to give God the worship he deserves and to come and receive the deposits that he's placing into our hearts. Now, let me answer a few questions as we kind of end our time here, because I know when we talk about Sabbath, I was just sitting next to one guy. He says, man, I've been in church my whole life. I've never heard one sermon on Sabbath before. So I know there are a lot of questions. I won't be able to answer them all, but let me just answer several that I know are pressing. The first is this, was there a particular day denoted as the Sabbath? Well, let me answer that in several ways. Yes, there was. For the Jewish people, it was Saturday. That was their Sabbath. That was the seventh day of the week. Now, many Christians believe that the current Sabbath is Sunday. They, they take that from Mark chapter 2, verse 27 and 28, and Luke chapter 6, verse, uh, verses 5 and 6, where Jesus actually says that the Son of Man is now the Lord of the Sabbath. They moved it to Sunday, declaring Jesus is the Messiah, and he rose from dead. On Sunday, Revelation 1 paints that picture as well. He says, on the Lord's day, I was in the spirit. That's what John said in Revelation chapter 1. So the Sabbath became the Lord's day for many Christians. But let me say it this way. And maybe we can paint it best by looking at Romans 14, 5 and 6. It says this, in the same way, some think one day is more holy than another 
while others think that every day is alike. You should each be fully convinced that whatever day you choose is acceptable. Those who worship the Lord on a special day do it to honor him. Here's the main point. It's not about entering back into rules and regulations, people. It's about having a Sabbath lifestyle. It's about living a life where we say, you know, one day a week, I'm going to just try to, to, to downshift, to rest, to enter into God's blessing and to come and worship him. It's, it's about a lifestyle. Now, let's, let's go, that's to the kind of second point, because I talked about for many Christians, they see it as Sunday. So here's a great question. If Sunday's a Sabbath for most Christians, should I not work on Sunday? Well, that's an interesting question, isn't it? You know, I remember as a kid growing up, it seemed like all the shops were closed on Sunday. There was, anybody remember that? Awesome. All eight of you uh, that were alive back then. Uh, with me when we rode our horses to church. Um, we, uh, we remember that day, but there was a time when most things were, were closed. Now, here's what I know about our society today. There are many jobs and many incredibly godly people in this room that work jobs that have to, have to function on a Sunday. Let, just think about all the hospitals right now. I'm glad the medical personnel don't say, hey, it's Sabbath, peace out. You know, patience, get your own food, you know, do your own IVs, um, that, that would be a real bummer. So there's some jobs for the betterment of society or police officers. I'm glad they don't just all take a break and just, you know, well, the burglars are going to take a break on the Sabbath, obviously. So, you know, or fires, they never happen on, on Sunday. So the firemen just take off, right? No, we, there are jobs that to bless society, we need them going. But now, if I might be so bold and step on a few toes, I, I, I want to call into question our very materialistic society that just now all this retail machine is just cranking on Sundays. And, and just ask, is our country any better off? Because you can go to any store and buy all the stuff you want on Sundays. Has that gotten us anywhere? Do you feel closer with your family? Because of that, I, I want to even ask, has it even increased our standard of living? Has it, has it even made living more enjoyable, more comfortable, more godly in our country? Now, I, I'm not trying to be legalistic about it, but I, I, I'm just trying to point something out and saying some of us never get to stop because Sunday just becomes another day for us. And so here's my challenge to you today. If you can... If you can, and you have a choice of a day off, which most people do, pick Sunday. Why? Well, because it's the day that the people of God around the whole world are coming together to worship. It's also a weekend. It's not a week, it's a weekend. And so it's probably going to be your best opportunity to enter into the blessing of enjoying life. When else can you have a long, drawn out time where we eat and we dine. You know, I mean, these days we're just grabbing a hot dog on the street, you know, and just going on. And, but instead of just dining with your friends and supping, communing with them, having parties, having celebrations. The, the other thing I love about it is it's not just a day where everyone's logging into work. And a lot of times if we take a, a midweek day, it's just hard to not just keep trying to crank and just because everyone around you is just cranking. 
So I, I just want to encourage you to think that way. I know in my family, I can't take Sundays. I've got to work on Sundays. I start very early. And, and by, the, by the end of all the services, we go home about an hour later than everyone. It's been a long work day. And then we still have some different things. But I need to take another day. So I'm not mandating this. I don't live it that way. But I understand for the average person what a blessing it is when you enter into a Sabbath day. Now let me answer another question because... Some of you are having this question right now and you're looking at me kind of frustrated because you're a parent of a young child and you're saying, I'd love to Sabbath, but I can't seem to get my kids to take the day off of eating. My my, my little kids will not stop going to the bathroom and so I have to keep changing their diapers, Robert. So how in the world can I Sabbath as a parent? Because my kids can't just be frozen for a day. You know, it's, it's not about perfection. It's not about just getting it perfect and it it might not ever look exactly how you want it. But I want to tell you, it's an attitude of the heart. The Sabbath day is a day where we say, I'm not going to just rev up the engine. Moms, maybe it's not a day where you try to do 17 loads of laundry and catch up for the week. And maybe it's not the day that we're making the biggest meals. Maybe it's a day where, where we're saying, hey, this is a day to downshift into first gear. And when those little kids are sleeping, that's when I'm going to do something that I enjoy and delight in. Or for me and my wife, we've had four kids. We've had tons of little babies running around and toddlers. And we take turns. She says, hey, you know, I, I want to go off hiking then. And I'm going to come back and take care of the kids. And then you have your time where I, I'm, I'm with the kids. And you go out and do, do this or be with a friend or what, whatever's going to fuel your tank. I want to tell you, it's, it's not about perfection. But it is about having a mindset and even, even training our kids. We're, Stephanie and I have been talking about how, hey, let's get our homework done on the other day. So there's a day of the week that our kids come home from church after being with the family and celebrating. And they don't have to go right back to work like they do every single day. Let there be a day where they can just rest and be refreshed. Let's look at this last question that I hear some, some Christians ask is, won't I become religious and legalistic if I start trying to follow the Sabbath? I mean, I don't want to be legalistic. Maybe I could poise that question with a question. You know, if I had a weekly date night with my wife to go out and enjoy being with her, would you say, Robert, you're so religious. You are so legalistic. No, you'd probably say, hey, that's a great way to have a good marriage. Now, if I took time weekly to play with my kids, to be with them, would you say, You know, that is just so legalistic. No, you'd say, hey, that's a great way to really have a good family, to really enjoy being with them. You know, that's how we need to see the Sabbath. It's not some yoke that God's trying to put down on us and make us be as robots to earn his favor. If you start doing Sabbath to earn God's favor, you're missing the whole point. You already have his love and his acceptance. It's a loving father saying, hey, come away with me. I want to have an adventure. Come away with me. I want to give you rest. Come away with me. I want you to encounter me in worship. I want you to meet some friends and be built up and encouraged and strengthened. And that's what the Sabbath is about. So I, I just need to end with this. You have permission to enjoy a Sabbath day. Why don't we stand up?